0: Hello and welcome to the FT Advisor podcast, the podcast series brought to you by FT Advisor. This is a special edition sponsored by Royal London as part of the Responsible Investing, the New Normal series. ESG investing has boomed in popularity over recent years as fears over climate change have led investors to consider the impact of their money and as a growing number of millennials have begun investing. Fund houses have been quick to respond to the ongoing trend, but the complex nature of a client's ESG choices, the sometimes contradictory and flawed rating systems, and fears of greenwashing have created a confusing and challenging maze for advisors. So as popularity increases and regulation tightens around ESG investing, what is in store for advisors when discussing such products with their clients? I'm Imogen Chu, Senior Reporter at FT Advisor, and joining me today is Ryan Medlock, Senior Investment Development and Technical Manager at Royal London, and Mark Greenwood, Director of Compliance Policy at Simply Biz. Welcome to you both, and thanks very much for joining us.
1: Thanks, Imogen. Great to take part of today. Thanks, Imogen. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: So if we start off with kind of where we're at with this at the moment, um, what requirements are there for advisors to take ESG into account during the suitability process? Um, Ryan?
2: Well, I think it's probably worth noting that the the European Securities and Markets Authority do currently state that it's best practice to capture ESG considerations within suitability assessments. And we actually carried out some research at Royal London uh, during this summer and that research actually highlights that 77% of advisors are already doing this. So I think it is happening on a significant scale at the moment. Obviously, you've got these new MIFID-2 rules, uh, and, and when they come into effect, that's effectively going to formalize this best practice and you know, kind of force advisors to capture their clients' sustainability preferences within that assessment. So I think that move is very much going to inject ESG further into the heart. Of the financial advice process and you know we know that when these rules come into effect advisors will need to determine whether one of two investment products should be integrated into their client's investment strategy so you've got uh, what's called an article 8 investment so that's a product which uh, promotes environmental and social characteristics and then you've got something what's called an article 9 investment so a product which has a sustainable uh, investment objective and we know that these rules come into play 12 months from when the final rules are actually published and I think clearly you know it's going to go much much further than just planting a couple of additional questions in the fact find I think obviously you know advisor research and advisor due diligence processes are going to need strengthening to fully capture this consideration.
0: Sure Um, Mark do you think this means that the days when advisors could simply ignore ESG and still provide kind of suitable advice are over?
1: Well, I think it's interesting with Ryan's comments there, The, as he quite rightly says, the ESMA guidelines published in May last year uh, stated that he's put practice for firms to collect information on the client's preferences and in, in ESG factors. Uh, so we're starting to see a pattern of that happening. I think it's fair to say if we go back in time, possibly historically advisors have tended to ignore ESG considerations. I think for two reasons, really, probably because you thought better returns were available elsewhere in the kind of standard market and mainstream market. I think equally because the range of those type of funds was fairly limited. Uh, as As Ryan said before, I think we've got, I take up of firms that are, are now asking these questions in the fact-finding stage before this MiFID amendment comes in. Uh, the MiFID amendment will certainly make it mandatory for advisors, you know, to introduce ESG considerations into their suitability assessments. So that's going to formalize this best practice. But you know, we're seeing a, a thirst for knowledge in this area. You know, we've been running some events ourselves uh, and we've got another round coming in November this year and the PFS are looking at doing an ESG qualification so I think there is a thirst for knowledge from advisors I do think what you mentioned before due diligence is probably the main area so that we get questions on and our compliance help desk around ESG investments
0: so ryan you were just saying that um you don't think just kind of slotting a few questions into a fact find is going to be enough to kind of cover this regulation um do you have any tips i of you for kind of what advisors can do um to make sure they're getting to the root of their client's esg preferences
2: yeah, I mean, well, well, Mark touched upon it there in, 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 in the previous answer. I think there's a, you know, I don't want to prescribe it as sort of like a, a four-step process or put any sort of numbers on it, but I, I think there are, a, you know, a number of considerations that advisors do need to take into account. Uh, I think the first one, as, as Mark highlighted, uh, factoring a lot of these considerations within research and due diligence processes, that, that's going to be really, really important uh in terms of you know looking under the bonnet of the different asset managers that advisors work with to really understand um you, you know things around uh, how they integrate esg into their investment processes um what kind of initiatives and codes their signatories to there's a lot of considerations i think from, from a due diligence and a, and a research perspective i think a precursor to before advisors go about formally asking questions, in fact finds, has to be client engagement on ESG issues. I think that is a really, really important point. And, you know, I think a lot of, a lot of pretty significant events have taken place over the course of 2020, which has perhaps given advisors probably a unique opportunity to engage with clients on ESG issues. If we think about, you know, you know, all the specific angles to do with the COVID crisis, which present in the SG lens. I think there's a lot of opportunities there. Uh, and then, yeah, again, like Mark said, I think the, the, the educational angle and keeping up to date on developments is really, really important because, as we all know all too well, over the last couple of years, things have been moving at an incredible pace within ESG investing. And I dare say, you know, over the coming weeks, months, years ahead, things are going to continue gathering momentum. So I I do think it is really, really important to try and leverage as much information as you possibly can. And, you know, fortunately, we are seeing more educational material, you know, whether that's from asset managers, asset owners, um, as Mark said, professional bodies, there's a lot more exam and study material coming out. And I think all of that um, is really, really important.
0: Sure. Um, anything to add there, Mark? Um, what else can advisors do to ensure they're getting to the root of their clients' preferences? Yeah,
1: I think it, ultimately having that conversation, why the clients attracted to those type of funds? I mean, these proposed amendments, these MIFID requirements, go beyond just asking any ESG-type question, as we've touched on. It's all about having the, the processes in place if the client answers yes to that question. So I think the, you know we're going to have firms thinking about certainly we have centralized investment propositions. You know these benefits of having a centralized investment proposition, the consistency of approach throughout a firm. But then, if a client has particular ESG preferences, would they fit that centralized investment proposition? Yeah. So will will firms deal with that kind of client on an individual client by client basis? or have a ESG proposition. So I think these are the thought processes, certainly with firms that I'm speaking to at the moment. These are the kind of uh, conversations that they're having internally as firms. Sure.
2: I think, I think that's a really really important consideration there, how
1: how advisors go
2: about building ESG considerations into their CIPs and their CRPs. I think that's going to be a, you know, a really significant fee in the next couple of years.
0: And... um what other rules are there which are working to encourage the take-up of esg mark
1: so we've well we've got kind of a a, a raft uh, so we've got new rules that came into force in april this year and the independent governance committees requiring them to report on their firm's esg policies got defined contribution schemes we're going to shortly have to publish reports on how they've implemented their policies on integrating suitability risks in their investment decision making process Um, and we've had the FCA basically indicate that they're going to be implementing these MIFID amendments regardless or irrespective of Brexit so you know this is the, the, the kind of rules that are around I think certainly for the firms that we serve it's the the MIFID amendments making this mandatory assessment of a suit- part of the suitability assessment, ESG considerations. That's certainly the one that, uh, for the firms that we serve, that uh, they tend to talk about the most.
0: Sure, Ryan. Um, any thoughts there? Are there any other rules you can think of which kind of working in ESG's favour?
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, Mark's obviously hit the nail on the head there in terms of the the, the main rules, which I think are, are really going to affect advisor firms. I think obviously a lot of what's happened, as Mark said, is you know an absolute explosion of different regulatory proposals over the last couple of years. And a, a lot of this is being driven from an EU level. So you've got this, uh, what, they, what they call this sustainable finance action plan, and there's a number of recommendations in that. Uh, you've got the beautifully titled EU taxonomy, which sounds absolutely horrific, but that's this uh, classification system for economic activities that meet environmental objectives. Uh, you've got the sustainable finance disclosure regulations, And what I find interesting with those is that, you know, relative to other pieces of EU legislation, uh, these regulations have got a much more prescribed and and, and strict feel to them. And that's predominantly about disclosing how sustainability risk is is integrated in different processes. Um, Obviously, you've got the other bits that that Mark touched on there. Um, I think, you know, taking a step back and thinking about it from a domestic perspective, again, uh, we've also got this proposed amendment to the pension schemes bill. And you know, if that goes ahead, that's going to make the UK the first country to align pension schemes with the goals of the Paris Agreement. So, you know, I think when you piece all of that together, and look what's happening at the EU level, look what's happening domestically. I think it's fair to say that you know, regulators and policymakers are are using ESG to effectively re-inject a long-term focus back into investment activity.
0: Interesting. Um, Obviously, advisors are kind of uh, at the front end of this with their client. They've got kind of all of this regulation going on in the background that's kind of altering how they deal with ESG when they're they're dealing with their clients. Um, Ryan, what are the main challenges to advisors from an ESG perspective? What are the main challenges they're facing?
2: I think probably two of the biggest challenges at the moment I would say probably ESG data and greenwashing I mean if I start with ESG data and and buy issues with data I'm talking about you know reliability depth non disclosure all all that kind of things and I think it's going to be really really interesting to Sit back and observe what kind of effect different measures will have on reporting standards going forward. So, for example, you know, we've, we've got this TCFD initiative, so TCFD Task Force, the climate-related Climate Related Financial, which is horrific mouthful, but effectively, the TCFD takes uh, the Paris target and tries to operationalize it for the business world because it looks to plant climate risk as a board level and strategic issue. And I think that particular initiative is, is going to have a really you know, positive impact on improving disclosure going forward. But I think probably the biggest challenge for advisors is, is undoubtedly you know the, the the threat of greenwashing because you know it, we, we're getting new ESG products uh, launched on seemingly a daily basis. Uh, I dare say, you know, with, with these new regulations coming into effect, I'm fully expecting that over the next twelve months we see more new ESG product launches with the word uh, sustainable in the title. Obviously, that is going to create more choice, but I think it also adds to the complexity and confusion from this perspective. But I think from a regulatory perspective, I think the the good news is that all of the various regulatory proposals are all focused on mitigating the impact and threat of greenwashing. So, you know, you think back to that taxonomy I mentioned a few moments ago. Um, Ultimately, advisors will be able to uh, look at a specific fund and actually see how much of that fund invests in taxonomy eligible activities, uh, the disclosure regulations, that is going to drive greater transparency. So, you know, I think these kind of measures should hopefully reduce the scope for greenwashing. But again, I think advisors are still going to have to capture that consideration within their research and due diligence.
0: Sure. Um, Mark, anything to add there?
1: Yeah, certainly when uh... I spoke with the head of our compliance technical team and the amount of calls we get on ESG, the majority of them tend to be around due diligence. I think there's just almost a lack of agreement or understanding of what actually ESG investing is. You've got this, it's got its own terminology. So, you know, sustainable investing, impact investing, socially responsible investing. Then we move on to what Ryan mentioned that, you know, There's this new phrase greenwashing making funds appear to be, you know, more ESG by providing misleading claims potentially. I mean, the FCA have come out and said they're going to challenge firms where it it sees, you know, potential greenwashing. I just think at the moment, currently, the onus is on the advisor to, to do the due diligence on that fund manager and see if they are actually incorporating ESG into their portfolio selection um, when we're talking about the fca and we'll see how this pans out next year i don't see the fca handbook being updated with a a set of specific esg rules i i i don't see the regulator going down that route personally i mean time will tell but we'll uh, yeah it's certainly going to become more prominent but the, the due diligence angle is the question that we have. And I think you've got, well, there's three lessons, environmental, social, and governance. And the three can be very, very different. I think a lot of the times, firms have focused on the G for governance, while composition, etc. that's quite easy to measure. Sometimes on the environmental and social side, it's not that easy to measure and quantify sure. from a due diligence perspective. So hopefully that will improve over time.
0: Um, just to kind of add a bit of colour to to this problem that advisors are facing um, I've spoken to a few who are almost a bit worried that they're not getting the amount of kind of uh constant esg data like you mentioned ryan and mark in in, in the due diligence process they're really struggling to kind of do the due diligence on esg funds that they kind of want to do they're not they can't get to the level they want to be at and they're worried that this might turn into kind of the next great um kind of almost mis-selling scandal if clients feel like they've been put in funds that they explicitly didn't want to be put in just because the advisor was unable to do the the level of due diligence that that they want to do on on a kind of other funds on on the normal returns equities type basis. Um, so yeah, it's just just an interesting point that advisors are, are worried about this. Um, hopefully this will be solved in the future. Uh, Mark, what about the future? I mean, do you think this trend will continue?
1: Yes. It's a blunt answer for two reasons. You know We've seen record asset flows into ESG funds. As Ryan touched on before, we've seen a lot of investment providers now having an ESG range that previously didn't have and this kind of follow the money. It's an attractive market at the moment. I think the, the pandemic has increased investor focus on ESG. So that would be one reason. I think the other reason would be this MIFID amendment is going to require advisors to, you know, have that conversation around ESG, and I can only see the likely effect of that is increasing assets moving into the ESG sector. So I think the blunt answer is yes, for commercial and regulatory reasons.
2: I, I think we've also seen, definitely over the last couple of years, and and, and probably more so over this particular year, you know, we've we, we've seen a number of pretty significant societal shifts taking place and clearly uh, there is now much more of a demand to invest in a more responsible manner and again um, you know you only have to look at the flows into sustainable funds over you know even just the summer months of of this particular year and again I go back to that you know that that research that that Royal London completed during the summer of this year and that research actually highlighted that 82 percent of advisors are reporting an uptick in interest uh, from their clients on ESG since COVID crisis began. So, for me, I think that demand is is only going to increase. And I think obviously, with the MIFID rules coming into effect, that's going to formalise this consideration um, within advice processes. And you know, this focus from a regulatory perspective is is very much on better disclosure, greater transparency. So, yeah, I think. ESG, you know, for, for a lot of people, for a lot of different reasons, is going to be front and center of our minds. Uh, and obviously, you know, aside from the obvious benefit to society as a whole, it, it, it has shown that it has the potential to improve long term financial outcomes for clients. And, and that, that's why I think it's a, it's a really, really important consideration going forward.
0: Sure. Um, And is there anything um, you think advisors can start doing now in order to kind of prep for when this becomes um, a regulatory necessity? Um, Is there any way they can kind of embed an ESG process into their advice business now? Um, Mark, any thoughts?
1: Yeah, I mean, embedded ESG preferences within their client fact finds, within their reviews, their ongoing reviews with clients. again. This, there is a thirst for knowledge out there in this area, you know, we run ESG events here, at the simple Biz Group, there's a lot of other providers running specific ESG uh, themed events and, you know, I mentioned the PFS qualification that's coming our way. Again, it's increasing your knowledge, looking at your systems and controls within the firm, mm-hmm. fact finds, ongoing reviews, embedding ESG considerations within there. And starting that thought process, certainly for firms that have a centralised investment proposition of how they're going to deal with clients who have these ESG preferences that may not fit their centralised investment proposition. So, you know, firms that we're speaking to on a regular basis are starting to have that thought process now and and trying to get ahead of the game before these new amendments come in, which is expected next year. Sure. Ryan? -hmm.
2: Yeah, I think, you know, going back to what I said earlier, I think if if firms aren't aren't already doing so, I would strongly encourage uh, client engagement in this particular area. Um, You know, warming the client up, talking about specific issues. Obviously, the the, the beauty about ESG is that there are a variety of issues and topics that can be related to it. So using real life examples, whatever that may be, just to bring the impact of, 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 of ESG to life. And I think, you know, having that engagement exercise can make it a little easier to formally integrate some of the considerations within the wider process. But yeah, I think as, you know, as as Mark's touched on, as I was mentioning earlier, it's clearly much, much more than just bolting a couple of questions into the fact find. It it really is. So I think the sooner that firms start thinking about these considerations and integrating them, I think that'll be better for everyone.
0: Lovely. Um, Ryan, Mark, thank you so much for joining us.
2: Thanks so much, Jim. Thanks, me, Jim.